All right, good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. Glad for all of you who are joining us online right now. And if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2, we'll get there in just a moment. Acts chapter 2, very well-known chapter of the Bible. In fact, uh, James D. Bales uh, wrote a book several years ago called The Hub of the Bible. It was all about Acts chapter 2, and Brother Bales believed that Acts 2 served as the hub of the Bible. And all the spokes went off to the different parts, backward, forward, throughout the whole Bible. And being as it is uh, observed in many churches the world over today, the day of Pentecost, uh, I figured it'd be good as we continue our series on the church, here is the church, for us to take up the day of Pentecost on what is traditionally known as Pentecost. I do want to let you know as you're getting there to Acts 2, next Sunday we continue to march forward in our reopen efforts and we will begin having a uh, option for the children, an option for the children during the sermon time. Uh, our sister, Elaine Patton, is going to be uh, hosting the kids during the sermon time, and they're going to go with her. She's going she's to have lessons prepared for them, and so that'll begin next Sunday. And so just, uh, again, another step as we continue our reopen efforts here at Davis Park Church of Christ, uh, offering something now for uh, the kids, so... Uh, just be prepared and plan accordingly for that next week, those of you who have children. So, little ones, little ones. It would be kind of weird if like your grown children showed up, right? <laughs> <clears throat> all right, Acts 2. I want to read beginning in verse 1, and we're going to go all the way through verse 41. Acts 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, 
standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. But all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Lord God, as we consider and as we contemplate 
the glory of your definite plan and foreknowledge for Christ and for His church. We pray that you would enable us to see clearly our role and our position before you and in the grand scheme of things as it pertains to the church. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. You, of course, will remember that we began this series thinking about the question when Jesus said that He would build His church. What did He mean? And did it happen? And if so, when did it happen? And we have gone through a a number of lessons concerning the church, its nature, its uh, makeup, its design even from eternity. And now we come to this text. And we see that the promise of Jesus in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew in particular, when He promises in Matthew 16, I will build my church. Not maybe, perhaps, I'll get around to it eventually, hopefully. I will build my church. Acts chapter 2 answers definitively that yes, He did build His church. He established His church on the day of Pentecost through the agency of His apostles. Pentecost. That was a feast day on the Jewish calendar that was tied very closely to the harvest. A week of weeks would pass after Passover, and then the harvest. And with the harvest came a time of celebration. The harvest celebration offerings were brought to the temple during this time. And it was on the day of Pentecost A week of weeks after the Passover and specifically after the offering of the Lamb of God, Jesus, on the cross. It was on this particular Pentecost that God established His church, Christ's church, in Jerusalem. In Acts 2, it records the full harvest of Christ on the day of Pentecost. Again, Pentecost occurred 50 days after Passover. And so 50 days after the culmination of all the gospel events, the crucifixion, burial, even the resurrection, 10 days after Jesus has ascended, go back and read Acts chapter 1, and you see that Jesus was with His disciples 40 days, and then went back and ascended to the Father's right hand. The disciples watched Him. Go off into the heavens. Ten days after that, 50 days after the culmination of all the gospel events, here we are on Pentecost. The apostles gather together. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. This miraculous filling with the Holy Spirit enables them to speak in other tongues, other languages that they had never studied, they had not learned, they'd never spoken before. And that's why you have that list of all the different people groups that are represented there on the day of Pentecost. All the different languages that the apostles were speaking in. They were enabled to do that by the Holy Spirit. And 
All the people were hearing of the mighty works of God through the apostles. People were amazed. They were perplexed. And yet there were others who scoffed. There's always going to be the scoffers. There's always going to be a reaction when the gospel is proclaimed. They're, only, they're, they're just drunk. And it's Peter who stands up to set the record straight. This is that, which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. He says that Jesus, He was crucified, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You guys put Him to death through the hands of sinful people, lawless people. But God has raised Him up. And to de demonstrate the resurrection, He quotes from Psalm 16. And he says, listen, David wasn't talking about himself. He's dead and buried. We can go to his tomb. He was a prophet. He spoke about Jesus, the Christ, how he would not be abandoned to the grave, nor would he see corruption, but God raised him up. And it would have been very simple to demonstrate, uh, Peter, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. We can actually go over to Jesus' tomb. His body's still there. But no one does that. Why? Because they know the tomb was found open, empty, his grave clothes lying there. They know Peter is speaking the truth. Christ was raised from the dead, thereby definitively proving one time for all time that he is both Lord and Christ. Crowds, they hear this, their conscience is stricken, cut to the heart. What shall we do? And Peter tells them exactly what to do. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people, hearing the preaching of Peter, hearing the preaching of the Gospel, 3,000 people responded. They're converted. They are baptized and added to their number. Added to the church. And so that's the account We've read it. We've summarized it. What should we walk away with? There are a number of things that stand out in this text. And the first is there in verse 23. About how Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Now, we started this series of lessons on the church talking about and affirming that the church comes into existence not because of human initiative or human invention, but the church comes into existence at the decree of God from before time, the decree of God from eternity past, and the call of God in time and space through the gospel. And so, from eternity past, and in the mind of God, it was determined that the Son would be sent into the world in order to die on the cross for the redemption of a people, a people for God. And so this shows us the death of Christ was no accident. It was not an accident that Jesus died on the cross. It was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, and that applies to the church as well. The church is not an afterthought of God. The church is not plan B. The church has always been a part of the plan, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. 
Just as the Son was delivered up according to that definite plan and foreknowledge of God, so also are the people a part of that definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And that means that Christ's church was in the mind of God as well. And so Jesus is delivered up, but God raised him up. This is resurrection language, and it shows up again and again. We see it there in verse 24. God raised him up. Verse 27, you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Uh, Verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Verse 32, this Jesus, God raised up. We're all witnesses of it. Resurrection. God raised up, Jesus crucified on the cross, dead as a hammer one day. Three days later, tomb is found open, empty, grave clothes line, and He was raised from the dead. He came back to life. Peter quotes from Psalm 16. This is a Psalm of David. And we are told that it was the patriarch David who lives approximately a thousand years before Jesus ever walks the planet. Centuries before Jesus is even born, David is predicting that even though he would die, he would not stay dead, but he would be raised from the dead. He would not see corruption. His soul would not be abandoned to Hades. God raised him up. And again, it's, that, it's a definitive declaration by God. Declared with power to be the Son of God. Proof that Christ is exactly who He claimed to be. The Christ of God, even God in the flesh. Indeed, even powerful enough to save anyone who would call upon Him for salvation. Anyone, everyone, who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ will find Him a willing Savior. Not only willing, but able. Because again, He is raised from the, from the dead and thereby declared to be Lord and Christ. And so what is the response? Verse 37, the people are cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. When something is cut, it's pierced. And here... The hearts of these sinners, and they are. Because what is, cut to the, what is cut is their heart. They are cut, they are pierced to the heart. And that is that their heart is convicted because of the guilt over their sins. You handed Him over to be crucified. You are guilty. You may not have pounded in the nails into the holy flesh of Christ, but you are guilty of delivering Him up. Why did Jesus go to the cross? To die for the sins of people. And so, again, even though they did not pound the nails into the flesh, they were guilty. And they were unable to remove their own guilt. Just as any one of us, none of us can remove our own guilt. We might try to cover it up, stifle it, suppress the truth in unrighteousness, But we can never remove it, never get rid of it. They needed the help of God. We need the help of God as well. Brothers, what shall we do? And they are told, Peter tells them, repent. That's the first thing. And repentance, this means 
Turning from evil to God. Turning from our sins to our Savior. It's the U-turn. You're heading one direction. You've got to turn around and head the other direction. 180 degrees. Not 360 because then you're still heading in the same direction, right? 180 degree turn. You turn around. You're walking one direction. You've got to turn around and walk the other direction. It means not just a change of direction, a change of mind. You've got to change the way you think. No longer thinking the thoughts you formerly thought, but now you want to think God's thoughts after Him. It means also a change of heart, even a new heart given to us by God. This is what Ezekiel pictures in his prophecy over in Ezekiel 36, where God will take out the heart of stone and give us the heart of flesh. He'll produce within us new affections and new desires. I will cause you to walk in my statutes, he says. And that's the picture of conversion. That's the picture of repentance. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. No one accepted. There, there, was, there was no business here of, well, it's all right if uh, you, know, you repent. You don't have to be baptized. They're, they're commanded to be baptized. And it's not just, well, you know, you, if you feel like it, if you feel like you, you have to, you can be baptized, but it's not really necessary. Peter says, be baptized. Every one of you, every last sinner who would be right with God must come to the watery grave of baptism. Baptism is immersion. That's literally what the word means. It's immersion in water as a sinner comes to the waters by faith. Two blessings come about from this text. There are others that we could look at elsewhere in Scripture, but the two here are sufficient. Number one, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. There's the first blessing. Now, it's not that the water in and of itself is working or operating to forgive sin. No, it's the blood of Jesus that forgives sins. And when we, by faith, approach the waters of baptism, it's as if those waters become the blood. And when we go down into the water, indeed, we come in contact with the blood of Christ. And His blood washes away, forgives all of our sin. We are released of our sins. We sing a song about this. Uh, he paid a debt He did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. So our sin debt was placed upon Christ on the cross. And when we come to Him and we are united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection, all our sins are gone. All of our sins are removed. They are forgiven, taken away, washed away by the blood of Christ. As far as the east is from the west, so far has our God separated us and removed from us our sins. That happens in baptism. It continues after baptism. As we walk with God in the light, the blood of His Son Jesus keeps on cleansing us. This is 1 John 1 and verse 7. And so, 
Every one of you is to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the first blessing, the forgiveness of our sins. The second blessing is, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit is another gift that is ours. When we are baptized, we are given the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit lives within us. We become a holy temple for God. And the presence of God abides with us. He lives within us. He helps us to live for God. He convicts us when we do wrong. And He sets us apart more and more for the will of God. Sanctification. And so yes, we are forgiven. Having been forgiven of all of our sins, we are now a fit vessel, a temple for the Holy Spirit to take up residence and to live with us and to help us. That's what He's called after all, isn't He? The Helper. And so we see Peter and the other apostles interacting with these people on the day of Pentecost. Where's God in all of this? What's God's involvement? Well, we know in the first place, it was the Father who sent the Son into the world. And in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the Gospels, we have the record of the life and the ministry and the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. The entire completed work of Christ in that historical narrative. Jesus is fulfilling the Father's will perfectly. Jesus is accomplishing redemption completely through His life, death, and resurrection. And so the Father sends the Son into the world in order to, for the Son to accomplish His will. And then the Son in turn does perfectly accomplish the will of the Father. What we could never do, the Son has done in time and space and in history. And in all of this, Salvation is accomplished for people. The forgiveness of sins is realized only because God has sent His Son into the world. And so therefore, truly, salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to Yahweh, as the psalmist says. And so the Father sent the Son, but then also we see here, look again at verse 33. Acts 2 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, uh, and he's going to quote from Psalm 110, the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament, quoted and alluded to dozens of times. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And so Jesus is exalted at the right hand of the Father. That's what happened in the ascension. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus had promised that the Father and He would send the Spirit for His disciples to be with His disciples, especially His church to be with His church forever. A couple of passages from John's Gospel will demonstrate this. John 
14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Right across the page there, you may have to turn the page, John 15 and verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And Peter says, Jesus, the Son, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has sent the Spirit to be with his disciples. He's poured out the Holy Spirit. And it was, again, the Spirit that enabled the apostles to miraculously know other languages they'd never studied nor learned. And indeed, all who are called by God and call upon the Lord, they too will receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 36, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to come and take up residence and to live with you and to help you in your life. And so here again, not only did the Father send the Son, but now that the Son has ascended back to the Father, the Father and the Son, they send the Spirit into the world. And then also verse 37 We've mentioned it before. Look at it again. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. Uh, who was it that cut these people to the heart? They didn't cut themselves to the heart. In fact, the way this is written in the original language, it's what's called a passive voice verb, and it means that the people were acted upon by an outside agent. It was someone cut them to the heart, and they were pierced themselves. One temptation is because we are so centered on ourselves and so centered on humans, that our, our human-centered inclination is to say, well, it was Peter's presentation of the gospel that was so persuasive that it, these people were cut to the heart. Peter, he was the one who cut these people to the heart just because of how great his eloquence and elocution was. Just so persuasive. However, we know, again, from John's gospel, John chapter 16, verse 8, that when the Spirit comes, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Furthermore, verse, the end of verse 39, where He says that the promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. You have the interaction here of the Holy Spirit convicting of sin, as well as the calling of the Lord, calling people to Himself, I am persuaded that indeed it was the Lord Himself. God who cut these people to their heart. And indeed, it is still the business of God to cut people and convict people of their sins so that they do come to the point of asking, what shall we do? 
What, are, what is Peter? What are any of us? We are merely servants who are only doing our duty. Because again, salvation belongs to God. And indeed, if, if anyone would call upon the Lord, we must first be called by God. God, the Lord our God, calls to Himself. And so again, I say salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Christ, He accomplished the work necessary for people from all nations to be saved. Pentecost, it was about the first fruits. And indeed, we see here the first fruits of the church as 3,000 people are converted. They obey the gospel. They repent. They are baptized. 3,000 people received the word and were added to the church. It was the first fruits. It was the birth of the church. The establishment of the church. The new foundation for people to have peace with God through the new covenant forged the blood of Jesus Christ. We see God was at work in all of this. God was at work. It was all a part of His definite plan and foreknowledge even from before time began. And just as God was at work in that day, I say to you, my brothers, my sisters, my friends, God is still at work today. People who repent, people who are baptized, they have their sins washed away. They still receive the Holy Spirit, the gift, the indwelling. And indeed, they are added to the church, the beautiful body and bride of Christ. What is our reaction to this? Indeed, on the first, in the first place, we need to praise God, brothers and sisters, for all that our Father has accomplished in the Son and what He is doing in the Spirit and by the Spirit in and through us. But also I am confident that we're cut to our heart as well. My friend, you may be here and you feel that guilt. The guilt and perhaps even the weight of your sins. Do not ignore that. That is a good thing. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, we are told. And so, that is God at work convicting even you of your sin. What shall you do? I say unto you what Peter said to the people in his day. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God is calling. Won't you answer that call? If you would like to do that even this morning, you can talk with me, you can talk with Buddy, talk with one of the members here, and we can help you with that. If you're watching online, Leave a comment. Send an email. Make a phone call. And we'll help you with that as well. One more thing. And we're actually going to deal with this next week. We're going to finish Acts 2 next week. But one of the things that the people devoted themselves to was the breaking of bread. In a moment, we, as the church, we are going to gather around the table. We are going to come to the table. The Lord Himself is the host. 
And we will remember His body and His blood shed on the cross. And perhaps, my brother, my sister, you are cut to the heart this morning. You are convicted because of sin. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit living within you. Prepare yourself. Prepare your heart. Prepare your mind. Seek the forgiveness of God as you prepare to come to His table. Let's commit this to prayer, and then Russ will lead us in song, and we'll, we'll prepare for the table. Once again, Lord, we are impressed by just how wise you are that everything that was accomplished in and through Christ and everything that was realized on that day of Pentecost all those years ago, everything happened just exactly as you had designed. And we give you praise, honor, and glory for your wise plan, your infinite foreknowledge. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to do the glorious work of Pentecost even in our day. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, to commune with one another and with you, may our hearts and our minds be prepared and ready to sit in your presence and to eat with you. We pray all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen.